Hello and welcome my partners in crime and thank you for joining me again today or this evening actually, it's this evening now, it's about half past seven I think at night and um, I thought I'm going to record this quickly because I need to get this case up because I'm a little bit behind because I wasn't so very well so thank you for joining me so before we go on to this case can you just hit that like button also subscribe to the channel and hit that notification bell so you get the notifications of the new cases coming up that would be really great you can also follow us on instagram and on facebook and this will also be on spotify as soon as i have the time to put it up there so this is the case of christopher halliwell now this man uh evil yes twisted yes um a killer yes probably a serial killer um, as you will soon sort of see as we go through this case he murdered two girls now it's, the timelines of these are a little bit difficult because he first of all murdered uh, Rebecca um, and um, Godden um, Edwards or Becky um, Colin, Colin Edwards or we just call her Becky all right and he first murdered her in 2003 then in 2011, he also then murdered Sean O'Callaghan, and she was 22. So Becky was 20, and she was murdered in 2003, and then about eight years later, wasn't it then, in 2011, he murdered Sean, and she was 22 at the time of her death. Now, he was also prosecuted for Sean's murder first, and then five years later, he was prosecuted and found guilty of Becky's murder but this murder of Becky took a lot of doing and there's reasons for that so this case is a bit complicated so I wanted to outline about the case itself first so this is the reason why I'm not going into the case I haven't called the case anything to do with the victims I've called it Christopher Halliwell really you know because this man um, is probably a serial killer and there's reasons why we go through why we think he is and the other victims that he may have had as well as these two victims that we already know about now um, um, she I think um, he was <clears throat> convicted in 2016 anyway Becker's murder and with the two murders combined he was given a whole life tariff that means he will never be released from prison for him life means life because this is not the sort of man <clears throat> that you would want out on the streets at all. He's a very, very dangerous man, or he was. Um, now, Christopher Halliwell was a taxi driver. He was married, and I think uh, divorced at that time, but he had been married. He had three children. Um, he'd left his wife a few years prior to that and moved up the road in with the neighbour and was having sort of relationships there as well so on the outset as we say with many of these in the last few cases we talked about this mask of sanity haven't we how they would seem to us in the public you know um and he was a great father and actually wasn't really a bad husband in anything violent or anything like that and even as a boyfriend you know to the neighbor who he who went off with in the end um, he wasn't that way inclined at all, actually. So 
when I talk about this mask of sanity, this man wore it well, really well, because underneath all that, this man was a sadistic killer of very young women. And as I say, probably a serial killer, maybe four more, up to nine more that they think that he could have killed. To tell you the truth, I don't really know if anyone knows how many, but as time's gone on and you know, once someone like him's arrested for these sort of crimes and then their other crimes and areas he's lived in and then we see people disappeared and it's never been found or they've been found and there's no sort of evidence because this Christopher Halliwell was very, very good. He was forensic aware. That means he's right from a right back. He knew about not to leave evidence. He um, done quite a good job, really. So... I think if they do catch him for any other crimes, any other murders, it's going to be very difficult to prosecute this man without real evidence or DNA evidence that he may at that time have not known about, so then didn't destroy it. So anyway, um, his victims were Sean and Rebecca, and literally their lives, you know, um, totally different ways of lives, these two girls. All right, totally different two ways of life. Sean was a personal assistant and um, in a relationship from a really good family. And then you had Becky, who was a drug addict um, and had done prostitution, comes from a really good family who tried everything to help Becky to get off of them drugs and really wanted to her home. But Becky didn't want to put her mum and dad through all this trauma of you know her drug addiction and everything so she decided sort of to stay away and you know these parents were heartbroken now you know what I say about victims it doesn't matter what they did in their lives it doesn't matter what their lifestyle was about they're still victims no one here really deserves to die do they because they're addicted to drugs or have done prostitution. That's not the point. I think the thing is with both Sean and Becky, they were happy. I think Becky was trying to get off drugs, but she enjoyed it. She knew that lifestyle. Sean was a total different kettle of fish, really. Her life was sorted. But Becky's life could have been sorted if she had given the chance in life. If this man hadn't took her life, who knows what Becky would have been doing today. We just don't know, but she was never given that chance. So let's start off now about and talk about Sean's murder, shall we? The actual leading up to that murder, that timeline. Now, Sean had been on a night out with friends. Her boyfriend didn't want to go. I think it was like a girl's night out. And he had his own property. And she was going to leave this nightclub, really. And I think it's about... 2 a.m. time-ish, she was seen on CCTV. Um, she said to her friends, I've had enough, I'm going to go home, I'm going to go to my boyfriend's house. And you see her on the CCTV, you know, walking through the nightclub, down the stairs, out onto the street. There is the um, CC camera. And then she starts walking down, and then you see this beam of light from a car. Now, Sean, from that moment, is never seen alive again. So, 
that's really what we know, the facts of what we know happened to Sean. That was it. Um, when she didn't return home, the boyfriend then started to worry because she's told him, you know, she's texted him, told him, I'm on my way home, I'm leaving now. She never turns up. That's it. She's gone, disappeared. So he's immediately rung the police. The police have spoken to him, also then had to go to the parents of Sean and they took the brother aside. And I think the brother knew there was something wrong because the police were being quite evasive because sometimes as with people, when they're in relationships, the main suspects are usually the boyfriend, the husband, the family, you know, close things. They have to, the police first of all, have to make sure that none of these people have anything to do with his disappearance. And literally, I think they found out quite quickly when Sean didn't return, her phone was off, all this sort of stuff. She'd literally just disappeared. And she'd literally disappeared into this car headlights under the CCTV and it clearly showed that she was alone as she walked into that light of them car headlights. So um, I think the police sort of then started looking into it um, and her boyfriend, I think he raised the alarm, I think about quarter to ten in the morning actually, so it, 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 this and the, she left this nightclub at 2am or 2 2 a.m., 2, 2.15, something like that. He had reported her and everything else. So there was a long gap here. There's a long gap, isn't there? When you think she should have been home and she wasn't at half quarter to 10 in the morning, he's rung up and he's, you know, because she hasn't turned up. That's a long time period. That's about the normal time period when people think, hmm, someone's not home, he's probably gone to bed, woke up in the morning, she's not there. And this is what's happened, I think, in this case. So the killer now has had a long time to do what he's going to do, dump the body, get on with his life. And we'll talk about what he did after um, Sean's murder in a little while. Anyway, um, so the police started looking and they knew she was at this club and this club was in Swindon and this is where these murders took place. And they saw this CC footage of her so they were sort of realized didn't they this was it something was going on but then they think okay you know um her phone signal went off about 12 miles away i think so you know you know if someone's been is it a club in swindon and then their phone or the mask picked them up the last time it picked them up there was 12 miles away she hasn't walked she's got into a car so now they're thinking was this car headlights that sort of took this CC footage of her out, really, because of the bright lights. Was this the murderer? And it was, actually, I think. Um, it, it's, um, I think it was reasonable to think that. So as this car went past and stuff, they saw what sort of car it, it was. So the police released the footage of um, Sean to the public. They also then said they wanted to know who or anyone who knew about this, um, I think it was a Toyota, this green Toyota in this area. Um, and then this detective sergeant, Stephen Vulture, believed that he knew who the criminal was because you had the link between the car and the taxi 
they knew that outside nightclubs and everything else, taxis line up to pick you up, to take you home. And this is probably what's happened here with Sean. See, our guard's dropped, isn't it? When we think we're getting into a taxi, she's been out, she's had a few drinks. She wasn't all over the place, falling over drunk. She'd had a few drinks, had a laugh with her mates, decided I've had enough, I'm going home. Literally walks down the stairs a couple of yards into the street, gets into a car. So it's, you're assuming now it's a taxi. And there is a green Toyota taxi at this taxi rank. So this detective sergeant, Steve Fulcher, believes he knew the killer because of them facts. All right. And that killer, who he thought it was, was Christopher Halliwell. So this is where this case now gets a bit strange. Wrong, if you ask me, but you know, I'm going to give you the facts and see what you think about it. So he pinpointed, this is this Fulcher, Stephen Fulcher. Now he pinpointed Halliwell as their prime suspect. And he was right to do that when you think, you know, everything fits. So he didn't want to arrest Christopher Halliwell because he believed that Sean had been kidnapped. So he believed that she wasn't dead. This is his mind thinking, or this is what he says. So he believed that she had been kidnapped and so he wanted to watch Halliwell for a few days to see where he went, to see if he led them to Sean alive. That's what he's saying. So they do, they put 24 hours surveillance on his car. And I mean, listen, Christopher Halliwell literally lived in his car, literally lived in it, really, this car. He was always in it. And he'd always done the night, late night taxis, always done them. So he put 24 hour surveillance anyway, went on him and they followed him everywhere. And he really didn't do anything. He was seen putting um, posters of John up on his back windows and everything. He was also, though, seen clearing out his car. He was seen taking his um, chair covers off the car, you know, the car seat covers, removing them. He was seen burning rubbish, but they still sort of left him. He was seen dumping rubbish in different bins around the place, so as if to put off track. So what he's doing, Christopher Halliwell, thinking he's getting away with it, is actually putting more suspicion on himself from doing that anyway. So, you know, Sergeant Fulcher, or Stephen Fulcher, you know, super detective superintendent he was, Fulcher, was right. But because he believed that Sean had been kidnapped, he didn't want to arrest him. But you see, he put out, I think he put out false statements to the press, this detective saying that they was getting close to finding Sean's body, they had evidence, you know, phone records and stuff like this. And then Halliwell was seen going into a chemist and buying lots and lots of medication, enough for an overdose. So the call came in to Fulcher. We'd think that Christopher Halliwell's going to kill himself. Now, if he kills himself, you're not going to find anything, are you? And if, as he says, this detective sergeant says that he believed that Sean was still alive and a kidnapped victim at this point he would have no chance in finding her 
So the decision was made to arrest him there and then. They sort of pulled up outside this chemist and they arrested him there. And the arrest was for under suspicion of kidnap, not of murder. Now, in English law, when you're arresting someone under the suspicion of kidnapping, it opens the doors a little bit to what you can and can't do. You don't have to take the suspect back to the police um, station to be cautioned and everything else and have, um, you know, counsel there, you know, the solicitors there, so they can do a no comment interview, really. It gives the police a wider, I suppose, range when it comes into pace, right? And that's the protection, really. And it, it really paces in place in this country to protect people's rights. It's to make sure the police can't put false things in your mouth. They can't tell you what to say. The statement's got to be correct. You have the right to make a no comment interview. You have the right to have a solicitor present and make a no comment interview. All this sort of stuff. There's lots and lots of stuff in, in pace and shortened but it's pace and the legislation is quite large it's quite old and you could say it's a little bit of a nightmare pace if if you don't believe in it and you don't believe in the process of it um but the police officers would know all these things especially about kidnapping and stuff what they can use so steve Bolcher was right he kept him in the car he told the police officers what questions to ask him so now this detective sergeant Fulcher has asked other police officers to ask um halliwell specific questions and he refused to answer now when you're refusing to answer and you've already now asked specific questions really when you're talking about kidnap he then should have really been took back to the police station he should have been because they've had their chance He's refused to answer, he really wanted to solicitor, and they didn't do it. So what Steve Vulture does is tells them to wait, hold on to him there, I'm coming. So this now, this man's going to be questioned again now by this detective. Now, um, I know it sounds a bit strange, but... but the, the thing is with legal process, it's legal process for a reason. And this is an important part in this case, this legal process or this breach of legal process. So now Steve Vulture has driven with a colleague to um, where um, Halliwell's been arrested outside these shops and told to wait for him to come, he's there. So he gets in the car and he introduces himself and um, he sort of makes them drive away from there so they can sort of talk. Now the problem is, is his vulture saying to him, Halliwell, um, about the press are going to know, you know, we can't hold the press back, the press are going to know, they're going to vilify you in the press over this, you know. And so you could say that he was putting pressure on Halliwell to make a confession. So this is how the law states. Now, so the good thing about this case is that in the end, um, Christopher Halliwell does say he will say where her body is. 
like they've had a chat that you've got the, the PC or whatever it is, detective, writing everything down that they've said. And he does admit to taking Sean um, up this windy road and literally pushing her over a 12 foot dip, really. So um, Steve Fulcher has all the search team and everything out because until you found her dead where there's no pulse, you could still say that even then this was um, a kidnapping. She could have been pushed over this 12 foot hill sort of thing and lived, couldn't she? But um, she wasn't, she was found dead and um, that was it. And then that was the end of it because now you haven't got any laws to rely on of kidnap. This is now a murder. So again, he didn't caution him. He didn't take him back to the police station. Halliwell said, I'd like to talk to you. What Steve Fulcher should have done is say, okay, we'll talk back at the police station. But he didn't do that. He took him out of the car. They walked up with this other officer. And he admitted then to literally, do you want another one? That's actually what he said. And Steve Fulch is saying he didn't really know what he meant by that. Well, come on, of course you did. Of course you knew what he meant by it. You found one dead body, which you know is dead. And then he said, well, it's another one. And so I think Steve Fulcher asked him, when, you know, when, when was it? And he said it was either 2003, 2004, 2005. Okay, so now we're in 2011. So this girl is obviously dead. She's not a kidnap victim. He can't rely on that law, on that part of pace, to, you know, <laughs> to take away the process that now he knows as a police officer and a serving police officer for a very long time, very good record, he knew exactly what he should have done. He should have read him his rights there and then, charged him with, um, you know, suspicion of murder and took him back to a police station and allowed him, allowed him to get legal advice there and then. He didn't do it. And this now jeopardises this case. So what he does, so he doesn't take him back. He then, Halliwell says to him, I'll show you where she is. So okay, you get in your car. You know now, as a serving police officer for this long, that you are in severe breach now of the PACE legislation. That's it. You've breached all of the rules anyway so far, but the minute you know that this case is an old case, the 2003, 2004, 2005, you know this girl is dead. You can no longer use that part of Pace of it as a kidnap. This girl is deceased. He's murdered her. And so this is where I think Steve Fulcher really now has stepped over the line. For the first murder, okay, with Sean, he says he really believed that she was a kidnapped victim. Listen, this man was meant to have that much experience as a you know, detective uh, superintendent. That's what he was. Years of experience. Meant to be a really good police officer. You would probably know, wouldn't you, that someone, a young girl, that goes missing in this area, coming out of a nightclub, is probably not going to be alive four or five days later. 
I think we all know that. But I suppose you could give him the benefit of doubt and thinking that's why he thought he could bend the rules of pace to suit himself. Now, you know, you could say, okay, you could let him off with that bit. But the minute that Christopher Halliwell admitted to a murder, that was it. And was going to show you where the body was. And now it's, a, you know, it's a cold case murder. And this girl's been missing for years. So you know now that he's telling you 2003, 2004, 2005. Just by saying them three things, right, you think, why can't he remember the certain date? Because if you could, he could remember, Christopher Halliwell, where this girl was buried from then. Why couldn't he remember the date? Because there's probably more, 2004, 2005. There's probably more in there. So, you know, anyone with this amount of experience that this man had had and, and working in the police force for that long, using pace, that we could think that he could bend the rules like that. Now, these rules have consequences and the consequences, you know, show later on down in this case. So what he's done is, he said, okay, and he takes him to where he puts the body, where he's put a body from 2003, we're now in 2011. And Halliwell goes to this field, and it's about 45 minute drive from where he's dumped Sean's body to where he's dumped Becky's body, because this is the girl that he's now saying that he's murdered. He didn't know her name. He didn't know the name. Of course he didn't. But he knew exactly where he buried her. And when he jumped over that field, he paced, he counted his footsteps like that. He knew exactly how many steps it was to that body. Now, when they dug for that body, that's where she was. And then Vulture even asked him, what did you do? And he said, I strangled her. Now, what he did to um, Sean was strangle and stab and sexually assault. All his victims had been sexually assaulted, strangled or knifed as well, whatever he could get to hand, I think. So this case now, you think, great, don't you? This man has now admitted to two murders, really, because we know now that Sean has been found, she's just been found, and we now have a cold case that Steve Fulcher has got this man to tell him where the body is. But this man told him, without being cautioned under pace, without being taken to a police station and questioned in front of officers on tape, on record, in front of your solicitor to make that legal binding statement. So what Halliwell does is when he gets back to that station, he does a no comment. That's what he does. Now, the issue with Pace and the reason why that the police cannot deter from that, right, because they are not the law. They're up here, up there, aren't they, to uphold it, to make sure that the process of law is done. Now, believe it or not, so many cases are lost under technicalities. We've had a few in America recently, haven't we? Technicalities mean that the process hasn't been followed. Now, if the process hasn't been followed, like it wasn't in this case, poor Becky's family have been told that their daughter has finally been found, 
And listen, I am so grateful that Vulture did what he did in a way, because this girl would never have been found, to her that now. There's no way this girl would ever have been found. Probably, it's very unlikely that Sean's body had ever been find, found. So I, listen, I'm going to give him that. But what he could have done by doing this breach of process, by not following pace, by not following the rules, by actually being someone quite ignorant to the fact is that he knew the consequences, or he would have, or he should have known for not following pace, that this man could have got away with murder. Both. He could have got away with both because of the... the I, don't, I just don't get it. I just don't, I don't get it with this man. This isn't a rookie police officer. You know, he took the law into his own hands. And he still, I don't think, to this day, understands the impact that he ha he's had on his own police force as well. Because this police force, you know, it made them look stupid. You have someone, a decorated officer here, that has breached so many parts of pace, I, I can't even mention them, they're that many. And um, yes, and it, yes, it's justified in a moral way that you found bodies and you give them, you know, back to their families. That I agree with and that I think is amazing. I really do. But what I really am worried about is with this case, is that really both of these murders could have been lost. They, the cases could have been lost over this. The prosecution, listen, when they went for Becky's, when they went for Sean's murder case, you know, None of the evidence, none of the, the confessions that Halliwell had stated in either case were allowed into court. You know, his solicitor stood up and said they're inadmissible. And they are, because of the breach in the law. That process of law was breached. Now, it's only because of the evidence of DNA that was found on Sean's body that really cemented him to her because there's no way that it should have been on her body and parts of her body that his DNA shouldn't have been on. He was a taxi driver. If they found her DNA in the taxi at any point he could have given her a lift. But where it's on the body and certain parts of the body, that's what why he was convicted of that murder. And then that evidence was allowed in about him showing where the body was. Now, Becky's case, this woman, this young girl, and her mother who had been searching this girl for years, finally finds out that her daughter's been found dead and told that this man has done it's going to go to prison for a very long time. Then to be told, no, sorry, actually, it's all been thrown out of court because the process can't use anything Halliwell said in any of that stuff, five hours I think, from the time of arrest to the time he was actually taken to a police station, is inadmissible in court because of a technicality. And that technicality was what Detective Sergeant Steve Fulcher done. So it's not really a technicality. It was an absolute bloody shambles. So it took five years. Right, so um, I think he got life for the murder of Sean. Five years later, um, I think the only good thing, and the mother says it, the only good thing is that the police 
knew he'd done it. Now they had to try and get some evidence. But as I said, Christopher Halliwell is very, very aware, forensically aware. He doesn't leave evidence. He really doesn't. But he made a little mistake, you see, because they searched one of his houses. And when he buried him, he buried Becky in quite a shallow grave. And he had the same spade. And he left the spade in a shed. And when he moved out, the spade was still there. How they got him was on the soil. It was a soil content. <laughs> this is how they get you. It could be anything. But it was the soil on the shovel that they knew was his. was the same soil. And that's then after that, then the judge allowed that evidence that he had showed where the body was admissible in court. But it took another five years to get to that point. In the end, Halliwell was charged with both murders. And as I said, has a whole life tariff. He will not be released at all. That's it. Because he's a very, very dangerous man. Steve Fulcher, or Detective Sergeant, or previous, he was, um, Detective uh, Sergeant, uh, Superintendent, Detective Superintendent Steve Fulcher, lost his career. He lost it. Over it. They didn't sack him. He was done for mo um, gross misconduct. Uh, took him in front of the police board. It was embarrassing for them. But I think the reason they didn't sack him, because as I said, morally, what this man did was right. He wanted to find these bodies, and these bodies would never have been found. Halliwell would have never have given them up. Never. He really won't. But legally, what he did, and you're talking about someone that knows the law, or knows pace, he should know pace, back to front. And he breached not one, not even 10, I can't even say even 20, so many of the rules in, in, in pace that he could have allowed a murderer to go free. So the police didn't sack him, but he did resign a little while later because his, I mean, he was never gonna be able to be, you know, he would have been demoted and everything else. So this, this, this part of the case is where I want you to think about what would you do? What would you do if you had a chance for a killer come to you and has said to you, I'm going to tell you, where the, show you where the body is of a murder that happened eight or nine years ago. What would you do if you was a serving police officer? Would you take him to the police station and caution him under suspicion of murder, get him a solicitor, and the solicitor by right, really, is going to tell him to plead, you know, uh, no comment because you don't want to incriminate yourself. So that would have what that's what would happen, okay? Or would you do what Steve Fulcher did? Take the law into your own hands, find the body and take the consequences, even if it means losing your job. So this is the part of the case, which is really about what you think. What would you do to bring a victim home who's been missing for all these years? and to give their family, you know, some comfort in the end. Now, both families believe what Steve Fulcher did was amazing. And they thank him, really, both of them. They really do. And I think actually, in a way, they should. Because it's something, isn't it? When you have a serving police officer of that many years that's lost all his pension, that's lost his livelihood, cannot get a job in this country. He's had to go and work abroad to get work. You know, that you've sacrificed your whole career. Maybe you didn't understand 
the full consequences of his actions because he used the um, kidnapping part first. And maybe he thought, oh well, people are going to think nothing of it because we found both bodies. They're going to appreciate me. They're going to think I've done a good thing. But he underestimated a lawyer because the lawyer and the judges and everyone else, the prosecutors, are going to stick to the letter of the law. That's what they've got to do because that's their job. So I'd like to know what you think about that bit before we go on to the next bit. And I'm um, going to talk a little bit about Halliwell so you can see, I suppose, what Steve Fulcher took off our streets. Okay, let's talk about these connections to these other murders. Now, the mother of, an, of a Liverpool um, woman who was strangled 25 years ago uh, wants detectives actually to probe and investigate into Halliwell's possible connection to this murder of her daughter. So again, this is, is, is this unsolved murder, it's been unsolved. And her name was Judy Finley and she was found naked and dumped in a carrot field um, of the Rainford um, bypass in August 1994. And possibly, and I think that she was being snatched and bundled into a car. So it's sort of Halliwell's way of doing things really. So her killer again has never been found, all right? So this remains unsolved. Now the connection between the 23 year old and this um, Christopher Halliwell, who, you know, is um, quite a good link actually. At that time, when this murder happens, and actually, I think four others, Halliwell used to drive a white van. Now a similar, or very similar, white van was seen in this area at this time of this murder um, and uh, I think he lived about I think four miles I think it was four miles from the field where Judy's body was found so a very good link now as I say he is not Christopher Halliwell will never ever say anything anything I think when he was actually being um, questioned over Becky's murder um, he did say I will admit it if you don't come and ask me any other questions again about any other murders just leave me alone that's what he wanted but the police couldn't agree with that could they how could they because now you're telling someone first of all you told Vulture haven't you that you don't if you murder a 2003 4 or 5 now you're asking the police officers to say, okay, I'll admit to that murder, but don't come to me for any more. Don't ever come to speak to me again. I wanted them to sign, to say any other murder suspects, you know, anything comes up, any victims come up, don't come and ask me. But of course they couldn't do it, couldn't do it. So that's another reason why it took Becky's case a long time, because that had to really work for it. So this also makes me think that when you have someone like Halliwell living four miles away from the field where a body's been dumped. Where this young girl is his type, same age, same look, has been dumped, she's been raped and murdered and stuff and left in this field. He was at the time also driving a white van in that area. She was snatched, thrown into a white van and dumped just four miles from where this man lived. This makes this man a real prime suspect on this murder. 
and on the others which are very very similar to that so this is why or one of the reasons because we'll go into a few more in a moment of why we think Christopher Halliwell is a serial killer and has been for a very long time now as I said to you at the beginning I was going to talk about Christopher Halliwell what he did after he murdered John in 2011 now at that time he had a girlfriend and um, he had rung his girlfriend probably just before he abducted and murdered Jean to meet her for sex. That's what he'd rung for. After he'd done that, and at the time I think um, he was 48 year old, after he had abducted and sexually assaulted Jean and stabbed her and battered her to death, and thrown her down this 12 foot gully sort of thing. He rang the girlfriend and um, they had sex. And she said he was normal, just like he normally would be on any other time. Happy, laughing, joking, normal. Had sex, happy. He just literally an hour before that murdered Jean just an hour before. She couldn't believe it when she found out he was a killer. This is this mask, isn't it? You have someone that can portray himself as this family man, great father, was married for many years, and he says the wife went off sex, and that's why he went off with all the prostitutes and this, that, and the other, which he did, and um, had girlfriends. He was like a sex addict, I think, I think he says. He enjoyed it. He had no reason to kill John or Becky or any of these other girls. He could have got any woman he wanted. You know, a lot of these work people, I mean, his eyes were like bright blue and he was not a bad looking lad. People have said, you know, his workmates said, you know, he could have had any girl really. His personality was lovely. Um, this is on the outside. He's a serial killer on the inside. Quick as, it kills as quick as look at you on the inside. But he had his certain types. And this is why I wanted to tell you this part because this is how quick someone can be a murderer one minute, a serial murderer, and go about his business within an hour later and be as normal as anything. As normal as anything. That's it. Had sex, had a great time laughing and joking. She said there was no different that time than any other time before. So how does anyone know when this man's murdered? You don't. There's no clues at all to when this man's character changes, unless you're his victim. So listen, you had this man, didn't you? <laughs> he, was, he was a responsible father, loving father. Not even a bad ex-husband, to tell you the truth. Not even a bad boyfriend. You know, not like some of the cases we've done. He was a taxi driver. People trusted him, liked him. He used to be a winter cleaner. He's sort of done different things and that. But his sister is what tells you really about him. Because she grew up with him. So when he was very young, he used to torture. First of all, it was insects. Then it moved on to a bit of animals. He was into pornographic stuff even up until a late age, bestiality and all this sort of stuff, they all are, right? He was into it all. But his sister says 
when he was young. There's a dark side to him. There always has been a dark side to him. He had, she says, a disturbing aura about him. But listen, his childhood wasn't great, all right? And that's no excuse, because we've had people with terrible childhood that don't go on to do things like this. I think his mother left the father moved to Scotland with the boyfriend. There was violence in this home. I think there was abuse. There was lots of going on in this home. Um, and then I think when he was about 12 or 13, they moved back to Swindon area. Uh, and that's sort of where all this has happened. This boy's upbringing, yes, he was damaged. I'm going to give him that. The environment he was in, that social environment and everything. But it's not an excuse what he does. He was torturing animals very, very young. Very, very young. Did it come, I mean we've had this with a few, haven't we, you know, they torture animals and it started with insects and she said he really loved it, you know, he really loved to see them suffer, he pulled their legs off and their wings off or whatever, then it went to different stuff. And I mean, as, as he got older, we don't know. We really don't know, he never hurt his own children, absolutely not. He didn't do any of that. But what was he doing behind that mask that we didn't really know about, no one knew about? Because no one knew it was a serial killer, did they? No one knew, even an hour later, when she was sleeping with him, that he was a murderer. He just murdered someone. We don't know. But we do know that he was into a lot of different stuff, uh, a lot of different stuff. And yeah, I do think a lot of it stemmed from his childhood. But as he said, his sister, you see, she isn't like that, she had the same childhood. She actually disowned him quite a few years ago, actually, I think. And as she said, he's not capable of just one or two murders, he's capable of a lot. So I think this girl was even held back on stuff that she really knows about him, because God knows what has happened there. But, you know, when your own sister, who was brought up with you, hasn't got a good word to say about you, and, and says that you are probably a serial killer and you are quite capable of being a serial killer I think we need to listen to her more than anybody else and then we've got to think of okay why do we think he's a serial killer this is why so there's a number of factors in this why people believe that Sean and Becky were not his only victims now they include in the mid 1980s while in Dartmoor for an unrelated offence, because we're sort of saying, really, that this man went from petty theft to serial killer in a sort of short time and nothing in between. It's impossible. So anyway, in the 1980s, while I was in this dark, Dartmoor for this, yeah, it was a theft charge, I think, um, Hallowell asked a fellow prisoner in there, how many women a person needs to kill before they're considered a serial killer? this was in 1980 so we don't really know if he had already killed then because this was 80 so 90s 2000s 2011 was when he murdered Sean 2003 was when he murdered Becky so we're talking about 30 years 25 to 30 years that's a long time when someone's asking how many people you need to kill before you're a serial killer. Now don't forget, some people really like to be called a serial killer. That's their whole aim in life. And it seems that it was his aim in life to be as known as a serial killer, or he thought he did. Anyway, it's quite rare, isn't it, that someone in his 30s, because that's what he would have been then, 
would then turn out to start killing in their 30s. What's changed? We already know that he was, you know, attacking animals and this, that and the other, and we know that he liked bestiality, we know that he likes pornographic and child porn and everything else he liked, we know he was a sex addict, we know he slept with loads and loads and loads of, um, you know, prostitutes and stuff. Um, that's what he did, it was constant, it was absolutely constant what he did. So why would a man in the 1980s at the age of 30 start to kill? And then also ask about, um, <laughs> you know, serial killers. So we've gone like from theft, burglary, to murder in 2003. Something doesn't add up. I mean, he did have, I mean, when I say about, you know, um, I think with Halliwell, this fascination with um, hardcore pornography, including child abuse, it wasn't images of child abuse, I think, uh, and bestiality, and the computer searches, again, because we always catch them out, don't we, in these computer searches, um, showed that he had an interest in murder, violence, sex, and rape. So he was watching it all. Uh, he is also, it was he was known to have been worried that police were investigating him over other allegations of other girls. Um, and I think... That's why he said when they was investigating him at Becky's that he didn't want them looking at him for any... He would admit that one, but don't look for me for any more. Because I think when Halliwell wanted, or he had this feeling inside that he wanted to be a serial killer, you know, the, I think in the end, that's one thing he didn't want to be known as. Mm. Or if he does, he wants you to work for it. He likes to be in the news, Halliwell. So now we talk about this when I say he's forensically aware. So in the murder of Sean, because don't forget in 2003, I suppose DNA wasn't around so much then and people didn't hear about it so much then. But in 2011, you see, people did. So he removed items of Sean's clothes because of the fibres. That's what he removed. He didn't think all about it because there was DNA found um, of his DNA on, on Sean, but he did try to remove them fibres and stuff. So he, because he did fear that he would be connected to that murder through DNA as it was developing more and more. So he was forensically aware. And he was also seen, remember, burning items of stuff in his garden um, in them four or five days leading up to his arrest. So that he knew things about that. Again, he did strike, didn't he? Try to strike up deals and that with the police. So, um, I think with him, there's lots of different things with Christopher Halliwell. One, he wants you to question him. He wants you to put things to him, but he doesn't want to give you... He likes to play games with you. When he talks, he's... Um, he, there's long pauses, and so he's thinking about what he's saying. It's not just a straight-out thing. He's really thinking about what to say, what little bits of information he wants to give you, but not the whole lot, just little bits. He does, he's a game player. It's very, like very merry, many serial killers. They love to play games because they think, as I always say, they are the most intelligent people in the room. The problem is with Halliwell, he's got life in prison without any possibility of parole. So he's not bloody as intelligent as he thought he was. 
but he, I think he got away with murder for a very, very long time. Literally, he got away with murder because there's so many cold cases that you could link to this man. Um, God knows how many he's killed. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I don't know. He's never going to tell us. We're going to have to work and work and work and go over these cold cases and stuff. And I will be doing a few of of the cases that he is linked to to give you some idea of of his range, should I say. But, you know, there are other serial killers out there that have never been caught and are still working out there. And they could have done these murders. But after 2011, I think, you know, that was his last one. The previous ones, he wasn't, he wouldn't have been so forensically aware as he was with Becky's, uh, as he was with Sean's. Sean's he thought about. I think ones before that, if we can find their bodies or other DNA or anything on them now, we may have a chance of getting something from them. I think the theory is with Sean's murder is he knew literally all the red light district areas. He knew them and he usually targeted, targeted people like Becky who he thought that he could get away with it because people wouldn't be looking. You know, people like Becky disappear all the time, don't they? They're drug addicts and, you know, she's a prostitute. Who's going to believe her? Who's going to look for her? She had a great family that really looked and cared for her. But they still couldn't find her body. And I think he thought when he murdered Sean that she was a prostitute. I believe that's what he thought she was. She was walking out late at night on her own. She'd just come out of a nightclub on her own. I don't think he saw her come out of the nightclub. I think he just saw her walking along the street and he's probably grabbed her, you know, and uh, killed her. And I think that's what they think it has happened. Um, but listen, this man's no random killer, all right? He really isn't. I think a lot of what he does or had done over them years um, uh, was he knew, he went out, he used to work the late shifts on the taxis. Um, for them reasons, because girls are vulnerable and girls would get into taxis because they're guards down, aren't they? He would pick up the prostitutes because he says he knew them and stuff, you know, and they knew him and they trusted him and um, until he killed him. So he, he had a certain type only because he really thought he could get away with murder. And Sean was not a prostitute. Becky really was a dry addict. And um, they didn't have a chance with this man. They just didn't have a chance, did they? And I suppose when we think of the job that he did, you know, being this taxi driver, and don't forget we've had many, haven't we? Peter Sutcliffe was the lorry driver. Um, and he found his victims through that way, and he could come and go quite quickly. And again, it's a myth to think that, you know, every one of his victims was a um, prostitute. They was not. Uh, we've got Levi Belfield, who we've done, and, um, you know, he had the opportunity, didn't he? He was a van driver, and he was also a clamper and stuff like that. He knew the streets. Um, you know, we've had Robert Black, and we've done him. You know, all these jobs give them an opportunity to be legally out on the streets. People are not going to think, are they, oh, a taxi driver's waiting outside on the corner at 3 o'clock in the morning. It's a taxi. That's what he is. And the other thing with um, him, with uh, Christopher um, Holloway, Halloway, 
he he had like an encyclopedic mind for waterways and all that around this area. He really did. A lot of these dump sites that he used, he knew that land. He knew it well. He knew, you know, places, these bodies would never been found. And certain areas where they found these bodies, they found other items of clothing. Most killers have certain dump sites they like, they used. Remember I said to you that Christopher Honeywell stepped, counted the steps towards where he'd buried Becky. <laughs> he knew, he remembers, because they returned there. He didn't know her name, he may not have known her date, but he knew exactly. In this field, driving down this field, massive, exactly where that body was, exactly. So, listen, Christopher Halliwell, is he a serial killer? What do you think? Is he just a double murderer? Have we all got it wrong? What do you think? Also, what do you think about Detective Sergeant Steve Fulcher? What he did? I'd love to have your opinions on that. So anyway, this has been the Christopher Halliwell case. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you found it interesting. I hope it causes some conversations. You know what to do, thumbs up, hit the um, subscribe button. You can follow us on Instagram and you can follow us on um, Facebook. You can hear this on podcast. I'm really interested in what you've got to say about this case because I think it's going to be quite interesting to read your comments and I'll discuss this in the question and answers next week. So thanks for watching. Until the next time. Bye-bye.